0: Well, I am glad uh, that we can be together here this morning. If, uh, if you happen to be a guest, uh, maybe you don't know it, my name is Thomas. I'm one of the pastors here with the church. And uh, so I'm not, I'm not the main preaching pastor, but I do get the chance to preach uh, from time to time. So happy to be here again with you this morning. Um, and, and again, especially if you're a guest, welcome to you. Glad that you are here. So we're going to continue on here this morning in the book of Proverbs. Um, As I have been preaching lately, I've been leading us through the book of Proverbs. And uh, we're going to get into chapter 5 today. And really chapter 5, that'll be our main text. We'll read from chapter 5 here in a few minutes. But I'm going to be uh, drawing in parts of chapter 6 and chapter 7 as well. There's really a, a common theme that runs through those three chapters, and so I'll be touching on parts of those, uh, th- those chapters as well. And with these chapters, um, like so much of Proverbs, uh, the writer is addressing matters of wisdom and folly. And in this particular case, in these chapters, he's especially addressing the wisdom and folly in the area of sexuality. Wisdom and folly in that area. You know, God created us and when he built us he gave us drive and desire for sexual for romantic intimacy we can call it he gave us desires and drive for that he he built that into us and 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 wisdom in these chapters is the the right expression and the right pursuit of that desire for uh, romantic intimacy there's a right Uh, A right way, a wise way to pursue and express those things. And there's a wrong way, there's a foolish way to express those things. And that's the thrust of the teaching that we have here um, in these chapters. So uh, we'll go ahead and read here chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Proverbs chapter 5. If you happen not to have your Bible, uh, the words should be uh, on the screen behind me as we move through here. So this is Proverbs chapter five. Here we go. "My son, be attentive to my wisdom, and incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion, and the lips and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. but in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as to a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near her. Do not go near the door of her house. Lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength. And your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when, when your flesh and your body are consumed. And you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to, uh, to instructions or to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well, should, should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth, a lovely dear, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all time with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom, bosom of an adulteress? For man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. And he ponders all his paths, the iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Amen. All right, so two parts to this message here this morning. Um, uh, Number one, I would call it romantic folly, and I'm being a bit euphemistic with that word romantic Uh, romantic folly on the one hand and romantic wisdom on uh, the other hand, okay? So first of all, romantic folly. Uh, What's the instruction here related to this foolishness, okay? It's two things. Number one, it's to be aware that temptation to this immorality is really, really strong, okay? And then number two, it's that being, that being the case, stay far away. Away from it. Don't even get close to the source of that temptation. This temptation is really, really strong. It can really have sort of a a hypnotizing, very judgment impairing effect uh, in all of this. So, uh, chapter 5, verse 3, the writer says, The lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. Or, chapter 7, verse 5, she has smooth words. Or 7 verse 10, she is wily of heart. Or 7 verse 21, with much seductive speech, she persuades him. And her smooth talk, or with her smooth talk, she compels him. So dripping honey, smooth, wily, seductive, persuasive, compelling. This temptation is really, really powerful. And the wise counsel here is to say, know this. Okay, Be aware of that. Know that. Uh, it, it would be pure folly to think that somehow we are immune to this kind of temptation. The, the allure of this immorality is really, really powerful. Um, in, in chapter 5, verse 20, it's likened to being intoxicated. Uh, why be intoxicated, he says, my son, with the adulteress? So it's, it's, it's judgment impairing. It's it's got a hypnotizing effect to it all. And so again, know that. Take heed. You will face temptation to this kind of immorality as you walk through the world. Young men, young women. Men, women, old men, old women. We will face this temptation when we face the world. And again, it would be utter folly to think that we are immune to uh, the seduction. And so... In light of that, then the second bit of instruction here is to, uh, to keep far away from it. Don't even go near this source of temptation. Don't even get close to it. So chapter 5, verse 8. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. Or chapter 6, verse 27. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Can a man carry fire next to his chest, and his clothes not be burned. No. No, he can't. So, so flirting with this kind of immorality, it's like playing with fire, as the, the popular saying goes. Man, fire is really good. Fire is a great thing when it's in the fire pit. But when it's outside of the fire pit, you set the forest on fire. But it's a good thing. And if you get too close, maybe you might get singed, Maybe you can pull back and you might just get singed, but maybe your burns will be more severe. Maybe you'll be scarred for life. Maybe even you will die from your burns. And, and the desire that we have for romantic intimacy, it's, it's a bit like that. That desire is good. God built us with that desire. It's good. It's right. It's, it's beautiful. God gave us that. It's normal. But that desire is meant to be in the fire pit of marriage and not outside of it where we set the whole forest ablaze. But man, it can be so alluring. That can be such a powerful tug. Men, we get hooked and we get burned by certain things. Maybe it's outward beauty. Maybe it's the the shape of a a woman's body, the color of her hair, the, the color of her eyes, whatever it might be. Or maybe it's a comment that sort of feeds our ego. That hooks us, and we can get burned by that. Or, or women, it might be something different, maybe. Maybe maybe you, you get drawn in, you get enticed by, by, by a man who is just willing to actually sit down and listen to you and make you feel like you're special, make you feel like you matter. Maybe you're enticed by a man letting you know that he thinks you're attractive. You want to be thought attractive in, in a man's eyes. And I know there's, there's overlap here with men and women. It's, I'm just being talking in generalizations here, but whatever it is, there are things that hook us. There are things that can burn us. So what is that for you? What is that for you? Be aware of yourself. Um, Again, the forbidden person's lips, they drip honey. So what are the the honey-like, sweet-tasting, flattering words that are going to draw you in? What are those for you? Or for you, what's the fire that it just looks so beautiful, it looks so warm. It seems so helpful. What is that fire for you that you're tempted to draw that in close to your chest? What is that for you? Might be a coworker. Might be uh, somebody that's just at the gym, maybe, that you're working out near. Uh, might be a Facebook or an Instagram connection that you have. Um, might be pornography. Either explicit pornography or maybe something that has been called soft porn, like the the, the advertisements. So many advertisements that we see on TV or in magazines or just on the sidebar of your computer screen. Whatever it is for you, beware. In fact, don't even get close to that, the wisdom is, is saying here. Because man, if you do, I mean, what's the big deal? Because if you do, there will be bad, bad, bad consequences to this kind, to falling to this kind of, of folly, and and I think we see that laid out in verses nine to fourteen. And these are consequences of falling to this kind of folly, and and you know like like most proverbs and and like wisdom literature, uh, just in general as a as a genre of, of of writing, these are generalizations. This isn't a guarantee that these will always be the consequences in every case. But man, generally speaking, and I think human. History proves to us that very often these will be the consequences. And the writer wants us to know this, and he wants us to be warned by this. He's giving us some incentive here. Uh, These are the things that you do not want, so go the other direction. You'll lose your honor, verse 9. So you'll lose your honor. Um, What are your friends going to think? What are your kids going to think? other people that are close with you, the ones who matter most in your life, your reputation will be damaged, your trust will be shot, you will lose your honor. You'll lose your strength and your labors and your years to strangers. We see that in verses 9 to 10. In other words, probably referring to financial Stress and hardship and problems that, that come out of this kind of folly. Maybe you've got you've to uh, shell out thousands and thousands of dollars in legal fees because of uh, divorce proceedings, perhaps, or, or there's child support, or there's this divide of 50 50 uh, finances and resources, whatever it might be, but there will be financial stress. Or verse 11, you groan when your flesh and your body are consumed. Flesh and body consume, maybe a reference to sickness. Uh, Maybe a reference to sickness because of this sort of immorality. Um, The World Health Organization says that more than 30 different bacteria, viruses, and parasites are known to be transmitted through sexual contact. And those are then linked to various infections, and only four of those are curable. Only four are curable. So verse 11, groaning. Um, with your flesh and your body consumed. And then in light of those things, verses 12 to 13, you wallow in regret. Why did I not listen? Why didn't I do what I knew was the right thing to do? Why did I not listen to my instructors in this? There's regret. And then verse 14, again, you'll be, there's disgrace, there's dishonor uh, among people that are especially close to you. Or verse 5 mentions death. Uh, or in chapter 6, chapter 6 uses words like punished, um, wounds. Chapter 7 uses language like slaughter, death, slain. Okay, so, so how's that for incentive? Um, uh, you you want to be promiscuous? How about it's going to kill you? Or it might. Um, so that, that could refer to, um, or that could come because of these infections, these diseases, or it might come at the hand of of an offended husband or an offended wife. Um, Chapter 6, verse 34, it says that jealousy makes a man furious and he will not spare when he takes revenge. In other words, An offended party here could be so enraged, so blinded by their rage and jealousy that the only consolation for them is murder. That's the only thing that will be of any consolation to them. So these are serious, serious matters here. Even more so, even greater incentive for not doing the wrong thing and doing the right thing, verse 21 It says that a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord in chapter 5, verse 21. A man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. So in other words, God is watching. You're never alone. God is always watching. And uh, boy, from God's perspective, um, in Romans 1 um, with, with various sins in mind there, but, but including sexual immorality. Romans 1, verse 32. This is God's perspective that those who practice, he says that those who practice such things deserve to die. Now, he's not saying go kill people, but from his perspective, this is so serious that it actually does deserve death. Um, in fact, that was the law of the Old Testament. Um, Or or 1 Corinthians 6, 9, it says that neither the sexually immoral nor adulterers will inherit the kingdom of God. So these are just massively serious issues. This is literally life and death that's spelled out here in these chapters. Life and death literally. And so that would be why uh, chapter 6, verse 32 would say, He who commits adultery lacks sense. Yeah, he lacks sense. He's an utter fool in the eyes of the writer here because you, you think of these con- consequences, You in light of these consequences, we would have to just take complete leave of our senses to, to uh, engage in this stuff. But that's often what sin does. It, it blinds us and it essentially makes us crazy. And we take leave of our senses. And so again, the counsel here is that we would not even go near this stuff. Keep Far away from her, and do not go near the door of her house or his house. So consider um, what might that look like to to go near the door of her house or his house. So maybe it's a series of text messages or messages through Facebook or Instagram or some other social media. Um, I know uh, I know one woman who um, uh, was was married. And she then got reconnected with an old boyfriend from many years ago through Facebook. And, uh, and then that connection sort of uh, stirred and sped along the discontent that she was feeling in her marriage. And now they're divorced. Now they're divorced. So, going near in that way. Or, or maybe we go near with certain movies or, or TV shows, something just showing too much skin. Maybe we step near like that. Or maybe with explicit pornography. Now, pornography is insidious. It is, it is crafty. Because, because physically, um, we might just go near. Physically. But man, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, we're not just near. We're all the way in the fire. We're there. Um, Jesus Famously says this, Matthew 5, 28. He says, I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Adultery in the heart, with lustful intent in the mind. So you, you don't even have to touch anything, and you've got adultery in the heart. Um, man, or, or related to, to that, uh, the, the, the lusting of the mind... What about going near in your thought life? Just uh, a fantasizing. You know, maybe somebody catches your eye. Um, attractive. Okay, fine. Fine, attractive. But it doesn't stop there. And, and you let your mind wander. Think about the possibilities. One glance, two glance, three glances. And then you begin to massage those thoughts, okay? Beware of that is the, is the wisdom and counsel here. Uh, Martin Luther supposedly Uh, This was Martin Luther. He said, while you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, you can stop them from making nests in your hair. You can't stop the birds flying over your head, but you can stop them from making nests in your hair. I think that's the force of uh, chapter 6, verse 25. Um, The writer says there, Do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you, with her eyelashes, so so y- 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 you can't help. I mean, just stumbling into temptation. If you're going to live in the world, if you're going to go to work, if you're going to go to the grocery store, you're going to run into this stuff. Okay, but but what do we do with it? Um, don't massage those immoral thoughts, those immoral desires. Don't let the the bird, that bird, make a nest in your hair, so to speak, so to speak. Um, or you might go near. Um, by just sort of accepting the flirty advances of, of somebody at work or, or maybe at the gym. You know, you're thinking, hey, this is sweet. Um, it, it's harmless. It's innocent. You know, I just, it's just actually nice to get a little praise. It's, it's, I, I'm just sort of appreciating the, uh, the compliments, the, the flattery right now. Um, I, I like that. Um, it's nice to be noticed. Um, but then, man, before you know it, you've got lusting in your heart. And it is a really short walk from lusting in your heart to full-on physical adultery. It's a very, very short walk. And I think that's the force of of chapter 7, verse 23, where it says there, a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know that it will cost him his life. So there's food there. It looks good. It tastes good. It it, it feels good and all these things. And, 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 And suddenly, boom, snap the snare goes, you're dead. It's that it's that simple. It looks good. It tastes good. It feels good. I'm gonna go get it. Just like that. Just like that. Caught in a snare. Man, I get it. <laughs> the, the, this is tough. I get it. These temptations, this kind of romantic folly, this kind of immorality, man, the desires can be strong. The, the temptations can be so mighty. I have wrestled with this plenty in my life. I have wrestled with this plenty. It's really, really powerful stuff. But the the writer tells us how to resist it here, actually. And I'm thankful for that. Uh, He he says how to resist these pressures. Again, first of all, he just says, don't go near it. Okay, we've we've talked about that. Know what tempts you and fight then to steer clear of it. Okay? But but secondly, he says, says, listen to him. Okay, so chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 again. My son, be attentive to my wisdom incline your ear to my understanding why so that you may keep discretion that's a that's a way to resist these things is to listen to the wisdom and the instructive instruction that's here Uh, and, and in other words for us that that's in other words be attentive to the wisdom and to the understanding that we have in the bible Uh, The the Bible is God's voice to us and he's giving us wisdom here. He's giving us instruction here to be like a flashlight uh, in that that darkness or a flashlight along a dark path. Um, so, So be committed to regular reading and study of the Bible so you get his words, his wisdom, his instruction ringing in your head at the front of your mind. Because listen, the more present and the more loud God's voice is in your head, the more muffled will be the voice of temptation. Uh, I remember a, a, a season when I was in college, and I was just becoming to be, becoming to be aware by God's grace, becoming more aware of, uh, of, of, my, of my, my sin in these areas and, and facing these kinds of uh, or temptations related to these things. And one thing really helped me uh, during that time. And, and it was just that I would have Ephesians 5 3 sort of ringing in my head. It was just right there, by God's grace, right at the front of my head. And Ephesians 5 3, in the NIV especially, it says, Among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. And that phrase, not even a hint, not even a hint, not even a hint, that would just sort of be ringing in my head. And so, uh, the Lord would really, really use that to help me uh, in my moments of temptation. So maybe there was an attractive woman. I was tempted to take two or three glances, linger there, let that bird nest in my hair, so to speak. But I would repeat that phrase in my head. Not even a hint. Not even a hint. And the Lord would use that. He, he would use it to sort of break the, the hypnotic junk that I was in, sort of the intoxicated, judgment impaired sort of state of mind that I was in, he would use that to break that and, and pull me back from temptation because it was essentially the voice of God in my head. I was hearing God. Uh, not crazy. I was hearing God. I was hearing the voice of God in my head and his voice muffled out the voice of the temptation. So just an example there, knowing and following and really Excuse me, treasuring God's heart in these things and in the Bible. Man, that, that or, or as he gives them to us in the Bible, man, that will help us resist. Be attentive to my wisdom, he says, so that you may keep discretion. Another thing that I would add, another way to resist um, these temptations, and, and really any temptation. Um, so this doesn't just apply to the area of romantic immorality and temptation related to that but really any area um, any any um, any area of potential sin and that really is that we would trust God's promises of better pleasure and be motivated to pursue the path to get there okay be motivated to get the better pleasure that God promises be motivated by that I mean listen the fact is that adultery Other forms of sexual immorality. It wouldn't be a problem if it wasn't pleasurable. It's a problem because it is pleasurable. Because it feels good. Um, And and, and, uh, that's why it's tempting. And really that's true for all sin at some level. I mean at some level we're tempted because there's some promise that if we do or don't do this thing, we're going to gain some sort of comfort, some sort of happiness, some sort of other satisfaction that we desire. That's why it's tempting. And that's why it's described as dripping honey. It's sweet to the taste. And romantic folly, again, it tastes, it smells, it sounds, it feels so good. That's why it's tempting. Um, uh, John Piper says that nobody sins out of duty. We only sin because it pleases, because it feels good. And so resist it, um, to resist it, it's not a matter of simply trying to shut down our want to, but it's, but it's being transformed uh, to want and to pursue a better, more lasting uh, pleasure. Uh, so John Piper says this, um, he, he says that sanctification, being born again, does not consist in stop wanting to be happy. It consists in a whole new set of what makes you happy. And he says the solution to your sin problem is not the killing of want in your life. It's in glutting our want to in what gives the deepest and most enduring satisfaction. In other words, don't settle for fleeting pleasures. Yes, it's pleasure. But don't settle for it because it's fleeting. It's fleeting pleasure. But fill yourself, rather, with a superior pleasure that's lasting, that's that's deep. And and the more near, in a more near-term sense, that deeper, more enduring satisfaction, that can be found. That's intended to be found in the romantic wisdom of these uh, chapters. Namely, romantic intimacy in the husband-wife union. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that here in a few minutes. But more ultimate than that. There is actually something that's more lasting, more fulfilling than even marital intimacy. And that's something that God actually promises us in eternity with him, with his people, forever. And it's amazing. There is actually a reward for enduring faithfulness to following God's ways. God promises us reward for enduring in his ways. Um, Hebrews 11 verse 6 says whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. He rewards those who seek him. And, and with that in mind, um, I think Romans 2 speaks to this. So Romans 2 uh, verse 6 and following, it says that God will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. And so with patience in well-doing, there's reward. There's eternal life filled with glory and honor and immortality. And we we don't know probably what exactly that entails, but whatever it is, it's amazing enough to use words like glory and honor and immortality. That's pretty amazing. Whatever it is, it's really, really good. That's promised to us. The Bible talks like this because God, I believe, wants us to want these things. He wants us to to want this glory, this honor, this immortality. Uh, And and, and he wants us to believe that that not only just that he exists, but he's a God who is willing to reward us for following him, for seeking him in these ways. He offers these things as incentive for enduring commitment to his ways. Again, glory, honor, immortality. These things as reward in this context for enduring commitment in faithfulness, in God's ways related to romantic wisdom and folly, human sexuality. And so again, another way that we would resist this temptation is that we would choose uh, to pursue a greater pleasure. Fight pleasure with pleasure, uh, we might say. And so that's romantic folly, okay? That part, folly. Um, And that is, in a nutshell, it is craving or rather caving in to the temptation uh, to pursue and express romantic intimacy outside of the union of a husband and a wife. Now the flip side of that is romantic wisdom. Okay? Romantic wisdom. There's wisdom here. And you see that especially in verses 15 to 19. So look at those verses again. Verse 15 of chapter 5 this is in the Bible. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, Ray Ortland he says that, that uh, the writer here has two parts in this chapter 5, and I appreciate how he parses it out. One part is, keep your hands off every other woman. Keep your hands on your wife. That's, and that's it. That's well said. That's the wisdom in this chapter. So you can probably get the sense here, by the way, that this language is highly euphemistic. So you can use your imagination a bit. Um, you, euphemism here for various aspects of what's going on in the bedroom, so to speak, the marriage bedroom, drinking water, and and, and the woman as a as a cistern in a well. This is this is getting at the 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 the, the refreshed and and the 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 invigorated um, romance that that uh, is involved in or, in that intimacy, the, the the refreshment, the the vigor that's connected to that. Um, also. Uh, One commentator points out that cisterns and wells were private property as opposed to streets and public squares where those were public spaces. And and the fountains and the streams of water in verse 16, probably a picture of of male uh, romantic vigor, very likely. And that being reserved exclusively for his wife. And so all of this is meant to paint a very exciting picture of, of something that's invigorating, it's passionate, and it is gentle, and it's warm, and it's tender. Um, I think you get that language with the wife as a lovely doe, as a graceful deer. So there, there, there's excited passion here, um, and there's gentle, warm, fondness here. And it's faithful, it's, it's committed, it's private. This is for the marriage union alone and not for strangers. Or verses 18 to 19, a blessed fountain, rejoicing, delight, intoxication. Uh, The writer says, at all times and always. So that is essentially just a call to to truly delight in this whole experience. I mean, go all in. Don't hold anything. Be uh, held back. Get lost in this experience intimacy with your spouse get intoxicated by it be led astray by it be enraptured be in passion go exploring in it be adventurous in it explore one another's bodies get excited about this so god is not a prude lest you thought he was god is not a prude he is not a killjoy no he he built us with drives and desires for this sort of thing And he's saying here, pursue that with abandon within your marriage. Pursue it with abandon within your marriage. Husband and wife, that is the place for this. Um, One pastor I've read uh, says that your spouse, your husband or your wife, he says this, he says it's essentially your husband, your wife, is essentially your own personal and private divinely approved wellspring of endless sexual satisfaction. And, and, and when you get married, he says, drop your inhibitions and go for it. Both quality in both quality and quantity. Those are the things that are being communicated in verses 15 to 19. And that is romantic wisdom. Hands off any others, hands on your spouse. That's wisdom. So the application here, well, I'll let you, leave, I'll, I'll let you dream big. <laughs> And uh, go exploring. Use your imagination. Um, and, but parents, there's, there's sort of an indirect application for parents here. Um, notice that all this wisdom is coming off the lips of a, a father. Um, uh, and in chapter 7, a mother also is mentioned. Okay, so parents, this is a call for us to take control of this conversation with our kids. This is our responsibility to have this discussion that is sort of started in a sermon like this uh, and keep it going and address these things. This is on us as parents. It's not on the teachers in, in schools. It's not on TV shows. It's not on movies, whatever. God designed men and women to be romantically compatible and passionately intimate in the context of marriage. Get open about this. Talk to your kids about these things. Don't leave it to others. This is how you will instill wisdom in your children so they don't grow up as fools and reap the consequences that we see uh, so laid out in these chapters. And you know, and the wisdom here in these chapters, romantic wisdom, um, like all of wisdom, it points us to Jesus. It points us to our Lord Jesus. You know, really... Um, that picture of romantic married intimacy um, with all of the euphemisms there in, in verses 15 to 19, really that is a picture of God's passionate love for us who are in Christ. That's a, a picture of his passionate love for us who are in Christ. Um, now, now I, don't, I don't believe that God's love, is, is, love for us is, is erotic, let's say, but I, but I think we need a picture like that in order to grasp just how deep and passionate God's love is. Just how vigorous God's love is for his people in Christ. And one of the ways that he helps us to grasp the depth of that passion is to give us erotic experiences in marriage. It's one of the ways that he helps us grasp his love for us. Marriage is, um, marriage is amazing. Marriage is this picture. Just in itself, it's meant to display the gospel of god 's love it 's meant to be a billboard of of his love, a woman united to a man united together, picturing God united to his people in Christ and in our marriages we 're going to show that um, just generally when we 're unified and when we 're loving in general ways, but most especially and most acutely we 'll demonstrate that we will we will feel that in the The acts of this uh, romance that are described here in our enjoyed, passionate, fond, gentle, invigorating romantic intimacy, we will feel most acutely god 's love for us in that we will demonstrate that uh, most acutely to one another in marriage to the angels and demons, perhaps the spiritual world that are that are that are watching us and uh, and so you know for all of us who have fallen into foolishness in this area. Uh, And I guess probably every single one of us in this room has at one time or another fallen into foolishness, folly in these areas. Um, and, And for us, man, the very thing that marriage is intended to reflect, even though we might reflect it poorly at times, the very thing that it's meant to reflect is our hope. That is our hope. The Bible says that it was because of the great love with which he loved us. That through faith in Jesus, through faith in what Jesus did on that cross, dying the death that we deserve. Remember, these things deserve death. Jesus died the death that we deserve because of our immorality. And he rose from the dead to get victory over those things. And so now, trusting him, you can be forgiven. You can be accepted. You can be filled fresh with the Holy Spirit to empower you, to be, for God to be close to you, and for you, again, to be empowered to, to, to get up, to start again, and, and be wise. You can do that by God's grace uh, because of his love, and that will magnify him. That will glorify him. That will show him to be an amazing, loving, gracious, powerful, faithful God. Um. And just as we persevere in that wisdom over our lifetime, there is great reward that is ahead for us. And it is the glory and the honor and the immortality that we will experience with Jesus and with his people forever. Let's pray. Um, Lord, do help us. Help us to run to wisdom, romantic wisdom. Help us to run away from romantic folly but again, run after wisdom, run after romantic wisdom with abandon. Help us to do that. Lord, give us, I mean, th- this chapter is about wisdom and folly. And so I just simply ask that you give us wisdom, that you would help us to have insight and discernment and discretion and understanding related to all of these matters. Because we want to please you in these things. We want to honor you in these things. We want to find Deep delight in these things and in that glorify you. So help us to do that, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.